Hello, my love tribe. Welcome to Heartland Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Christian, and today we're going to enjoy a wonderful conversation with one of our new guest speakers. So I hope you're excited and we're ready to dive in. If you have any questions or want to know more about the guest speaker, definitely go to the description box so you can get to know who they are and check out all of what they have to offer. So definitely stay tuned and we'll get started right after this message. Hello, I am here with Neelu Four, and she is an author, facilitator, and executive coach, and she's going to help us out with some corporate burnout information. So I'm really excited to have her. Welcome, Neelu. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself and just kind of how you got to where you are today. So my work is at the intersection of leadership and wellness. I do group facilitation and individual executive coaching in the space mm-hmm. of leadership development and mental health and well-being. And for the last five years or so, I've really been focused on self-advocacy for Asian and South Asian women, which is which helped in my research for my book that was published this year. It's called Be Your Own Cheerleader. So yes, yeah, so my work is focused on mental health and well-being, leadership development, with a focus for women and empowering women on being self-advocates and their own cheerleaders in the workplace. Got it. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. And that's so needed um, because I think, especially with women, it's hard to really balance that, like, you know, just like setting those boundaries and like, how do you handle all of this? And like the corporate environment, which in itself is very masculine. Yeah, that's that's a good focus for sure. (laughs) It is. And I noticed specifically with Asian and South Asian women, AAPI professionals, it's something that's even more challenging because of the fact that we struggle to speak up. And so when we don't speak up, it leads to us taking on more work or take or not not saying yes or no to things. And then that also contributes to burnout in the in the workplace. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. So can you share with us a little bit more, like just kind of paint this picture just about like the corporate burnout world? Because I think Mm -hmm. what happens, we like a lot of us work in like corporate environments and we're like, we kind of focus it on just that company, but it sounds like it's just across the board. (laughs) Why is it like this? (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, I don't know about, I almost feel like we've forgotten about our pre-pandemic world, but what I can say is for the last three plus years, we literally, like we've given up some of our commute times, even if we're still you know, if we're not in the office, we're hybrid or we're 100% virtual. So we've given up those commute times. And what's happening is this back-to-back scheduling of meetings where people don't have time to process information and buffer themselves between these meetings for just synthesizing information. And so that has become one of the main sources of burnout the last three plus years is this lack of time between meetings. And I think we had that before, but I think it's exponentially risen because of the fact that we're at home, we can, you know, and our calendars just seem to get booked up with things that we might have not said yes to. Uh Yeah, I agree that. And I think it's harder now to set what can be to set those boundaries at home when you're working before you could just once you leave the office, that's it. So that's that that could definitely be going on here. Um, But I think it's even harder for like the hybrid situation. 
it just seems like when we're in the office, it's almost like we're trying to rush and get all this extra stuff done in the office. And it just seems out of balance. Have you noticed that at all? Yes. I actually have gotten that from my clients. They often say, Neelu, I don't know how to do this because I'm only here two days a week and I feel Mm -hmm. like I have to maximize that time. And then the other three days I'm back to back with Zoom or Teams or whatever the the platform is. And so, yeah, so it's leading in a a bit of confusion because I think pre-pandemic, if we were in the office four or five days a week, it's like, you know, you you had your meetings, you had your FaceTime with people, but now it's like this mad rush to get all of those FaceTime meetings in that short two days that you're in the office or three days, whatever your, whatever your company is requiring. It is definitely becoming challenging to balance. And I think we're still in this transition phase of trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is kind of contributing to that? Well, so one of the things that is really helpful is this model. It's called the reverse classroom, which is essentially that the idea is that you send out pre-work or whatever needs to be done before you actually meet in person. And I think a lot of companies are not adhering to that. So they're, you're in the office and you're just spending some of that face time to do the things that could have been done before, like research certain topics, come with ideas, come with some suggestions versus being in that moment and you're thinking you have to do all of that. So the idea of the reverse classroom would really help in the hybrid situation. It's like, okay, I'm home these two days. These are the things I need to get done in order to be productive when I'm face-to-face with XYZ on Wednesday and Thursday. That would actually do really well because no one thinks like that. It's very, it's almost become so reactive. Yes. So that sounds like it's just across the board. <laughs> it is. And I and you know, yeah. you would think, oh, it's different for a nonprofit, it's different for profit. And absolutely it is the same. People are jam-packed with meetings, no downtime to synthesize information. And like you were saying, these lack of boundaries. And so one of the suggestions, specifically if you're still hundred percent virtual, it's called fit for purpose. So essentially mm-hmm. each each space in your home is fit for a purpose. So for example, your home office, for me, I live in New York City, so I have a small one bedroom apartment and it's like, there's my living room is literally a few inches away from my work office. But the idea is that when I move out of the work office, I do not take my laptop and bring it over to the couch, right? And so these spaces are fit for eating, for sleeping, for bathing, right? And so the idea is that you don't take your laptop and you bring it into other areas because then you are crossing those boundaries. So first it's the the awareness of having the fit for purpose space, but also then the discipline to carry it through. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That is so key. It's like setting those boundaries at home in your environment. And it's really helpful too, just for the mind to be able to make those stronger associations. Right. And if you have children or other people in your home, it's like you want to model that behavior so that everyone knows like, hey, this is dinner time, relaxing time versus bringing your computer or looking at your phone while you're eating, which I know we're all guilty of doing. And so these are really things that we have to start doing for ourselves and also for those around us to create those boundaries and separate work and life. Yes, absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about just the challenges that women in general are facing versus men in these situations with work. I know like with saying no, it can be harder, but like kind of going a little bit deeper on that. Sure. So I'll start with what I know best, which is Asian and South Asian women, the AAPI community. And so one of the things with this community and with us is that we are programmed and conditioned to not speak up to sort of put our head down, to just work, and the work will speak for itself. And that is a recipe for disaster in corporate America. 
And so when you don't speak up, when you don't self-advocate, you will get overlooked for promotions, you will get overlooked for opportunities. And so, and it also makes you feel like you are not a good leader because you're not the loudest voice in the room and that there's a misconception there. And so I think one of the challenges for women specifically is speaking up, sharing when you need assistance because you think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a single mom and I can't say that I have to leave for childcare, but it's like, no, your situation is your situation. And when you need to speak up to ask for permission to do something, speak up. And I think a lot of women in general are challenged with that, but I think AAPI women even more so because of the cultural conditioning of sort of keeping your head down, just doing your work, and that will that will be enough. And that's clearly not enough in corporate America. Oh, yeah, no, it almost seems like they just give you more work. Exactly. And actually, right now, that's actually a very big trend in this in the workplace is that there, as you know, there's pro- you probably know that there's been many thousands of downsizings and layoffs. And so the people that are remaining in those organizations are now tasked with two to three to four people's jobs because they're, they're in this place of transition mm-hmm. and they haven't you know added new employees. And so you as an individual are now tasked with not just your role, but you're sort of figuring out what to do with the remnants of whoever has left your team from the downsizing. Yep. 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 That, that is so true. And that recently happened just for my company where, you know, one, there wasn't a downsizing, but one person left and then it was more work on two of us. And then I left and poor person left behind is like overwhelmed. And it just kind of creates this domino effect where like, we just can't get ahead of the work and it just creates this top heavy type of energy. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's happening more and more now because of specifically in tech, like that's where there's the most downsizing going on. But many of my clients are in the tech industry. And I feel like that the burnout in tech is is exponentially risen from all of these massive downsizings. Mm, mm, okay, that's a good note. It's like the tech world seems to be a bit stronger. I've noticed there's a lot more startups happening as well. I currently work for a startup. And so is that kind of bringing any balance to just people in general or is the corporate like does it seem like the corporate world is starting to shift or struggle a bit well i think interestingly with startups i almost feel like it's worth at worse in the sense that mm-hmm. i have a few clients that have left google and meta and they've now gone to startups and so with startups there's less people right there's mm-hmm. less people there's less funding, there's less, there's all of these things that, for example, an established Google has that a startup doesn't have. So you're rolling up your sleeves and you're doing so many more things. And in one hand, it's great. If you're newer in your career, you're learning so much. But if you're a little bit more senior or very senior, it's like, wait, I have responsibilities at home. I'm a parent. I'm this, right? And so there's all these other aspects that are happening. And I think with the startup model, it really depends on where you are in your career and then the type of startup you go to. Yeah, that is very true. I think the culture of the startup is important. And that is true. It is definitely a lot more work. I think for me, I've noticed a lot less of the political stuff from like Mm -hmm. the corporate world where it's like, okay, let's put on this happy face and let's, you know, pretend to do all this extra stuff and all these productive meetings that don't mean anything because we're really just, I don't know. It's like we're trying to like paint this picture that isn't there. But with the startup, you're just focusing on work. So it's a little bit less of the 
in my in my experience i know everybody's different but it's a little yeah, bit no, less that's... of the like trying to fit the bubble and just like get work done <laughs> yes yes and and that's true too right like for the in the instance that there, it's a flatter hierarchically hierarchically yeah. i always yeah. have a challenge saying that word that's but okay. there it's flatter because there are not that many layers and yeah. so yes you you don't have to deal with a lot of the a lot more of the political aspects of larger huge organizations so that is absolutely i think a true statement yeah yeah but it is more work for sure it yes. is i mean it's like okay now you're you're a whole team like one person is a whole team and it's like how am i going to get all this stuff done? <laughs> right right and yeah. then on top of that if you don't have that great relationship with your manager and you're not comfortable speaking up, that's literally adding to the burnout and the mental health, the wear and tear that's happening in the workplace right now. Yeah, it's really bad. So what are some effects that can happen with burnout just from a well-being standpoint? Yeah, like, so I think if we can first identify like some signs, right? So one of the signs that I think happens, and this is, and this, not if it's just like an anomaly, it just happens every once in a while, but if this is sort of like a reoccurring feeling on Sunday night where you are dreading Monday, <laughs> where you're literally like have those Sunday night scaries, you're just like, I do not want to wake up tomorrow. That is a sign if it's happening week after week after week. I would say if it's happening for say three months, you know that, okay, this is a sign I got, I have to do something to shift this. So that's usually like one indication. The other is you're hitting snooze and you're literally just dreading. And it's not just a Sunday night thing, but you're doing that every morning where you're like, I am up to my ears and all of this stuff. I don't even know where to begin. So it leads to feelings of overwhelm. So if you're feeling like you can't complete a task, those are all sorts of signs of feeling overwhelmed and mental fatigue. Yes, absolutely. And that that can lead to even bigger problems down the road. And it kind of just bleeds over into the rest of your, your life, which it just creates this like, you know, a volcano. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It will, it will affect your relationships with your partner, with your pets, with your children, whoever you're, you know, your, your community, yeah. right? Because you're not happy and vibrant internally. And so that definitely radiates out and impacts energetically to everyone you come into contact yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it, the longer you go with the burnout, it's even harder to get out of. It feels like, like, yes. I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and, Sometimes you have those days where you're like, I'm feeling better. I think I can do this. And as soon as you start to get like a little bit of, you know, overwhelming, you know, it's just like, I can't do this. So what are some, like, what are some things, some ways that we can start to really overcome burnout if we're already there? Yeah. So just feeding off of what you just said, which is you're so overwhelmed. You, you can't get moving. You have this feeling of like, I, I'm just, I can't think straight. In that moment, what I say to myself and what I tell my clients is ask yourself one question. What do I need in this moment? Because oftentimes in that moment, you may need to eat. You may need to take a nap. You may need to just move and walk around your apartment building or your neighborhood or, or whatever, right? So physiologically, there are some needs that probably need to get met. And once you address those, you could probably act more resourcefully or behave more resourcefully in the next moment. So when you have those feelings of overwhelm, the first question and the most crucial question is, what do I need in this moment? And ask and being really honest with yourself, because sometimes we feel guilty when we say, 
I want to just take off the rest of the day. I mean, obviously we can't do that every day, (laughs) but some days it is necessary to just say, you know what, I'm going to chalk this up to a mental health day. I, I really just cannot be in front of my computer anymore. And that's the other thing for burnout management lately with this excessive devices, right? Like we have computer, we have our iPad, we have our phone, and we're constantly plugged in. And so we really need that downtime to just be away and plugged out of all of these platforms and social media and all of that. So I would say the first thing in that moment is if you find yourself feeling very overwhelmed, ask yourself, what do I need in this moment? Oh, yeah. I think that is so simple, but it's so effective. Like, yes, because there's always an answer to that question, even if we're like kind of resisting it. Like, no, I still got to get through this. Like, no, like, listen to yourself. What do you need? And and not ignore yourself. Right. And and that also goes to, you know, when I was talking about the Sunday night scaries, if you could do the Sunday night or you do this first thing Monday morning, it's really looking through your calendar and asking yourself, which meetings do I absolutely need to be in? Because one of the things is we're being inviting, invited to meetings that are not necessary. So, and that's creating that, back to back, no time to eat, no time to go to the bathroom, feeling of feelings of overwhelm. So it's like, where do, where can I sort of get back some of that time? Or there's a researcher, she calls it time confetti. When you get that time back, it's like, what are you going to do with that time confetti? One of the things is to just be with yourself and to process the information and just to really have some downtime, some introspective time, which I think many of us are just not getting because of all of the plugged into so many things. Yes, absolutely. And I love how you touch on specifically just the different cultures and the culture of South Asian women and Asian women in general, because that is a, a, you know, general cultural um, impression that, that, you know, the woman is to be more quiet and, you know, not outspoken or anything like that. Um, But I think in general, too, women don't just naturally don't feel as empowered to speak up um i think we always feel that pressure to just kind of be the caretakers or to take on whatever's there so what are some ways that we can just empower ourselves um and and i know it's hard because there's a lot of conditioning that's there especially from a cultural standpoint so what's some good advice to kind of help with that Yeah. So specifically, you know, and this goes across the board, but I will speak specifically for AAPI women, Asian and South Asian women. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, you know, we're struggled with is that a lot of times there's, we come from very collective, we-based cultures and North America is very I-based. And so Mm -hmm. we're navigating and dancing between the we and the I. And so there's one chapter specifically in my book that's Be Your Own Cheerleader is talking about whose voice is it? So a lot of times this need to complete so much or to succeed and accomplish X, Y, Z, it's like in that moment, it's like, wait, is this, is this Milu's voice or is this my dad's voice? Or is this, you know, like really identifying where is that pressure coming from? Because we individually, we don't, we would never do that to ourselves. We are doing this because of something, some influence, whether it's cultural, societal, it's a, it's a, you know, judgy voice in our head. That's not our voice. So I think one strategy that I use a lot with my clients, and even when I'm teaching in groups is really saying in that moment, you know, 
you know, what age am I and whose voice is it? Because if it's an adult version of yourself, you can bypass all of that. But if it's like a scared 15 year old child within us and it's a judgy dad that you may have had, then it's like, okay, let's take care of that 15 year old child before the adult can emerge forward. Mm -hmm. I really like that because it, it can be hard because it can be so ingrained in us. Right. Um, from very early that when you go to make a change and and even when you're hearing like just set boundaries and do this and do that like it's like yeah okay I hear that and I know that consciously logically that's a good idea but I'm having to go against something that I've been taught and having to overcome and it just creates it can create a lot of anxiety Yes. So like, imagine for a moment, a young woman who is, and we can say she doesn't have to be Asian or South Asian. Let's just say she's a young woman. She's a young girl, rather. She's like seven, eight, nine. And she's got, she got reprimanded for speaking up, for sharing something that she needed in the moment. It's like, sometimes these wounds are internally ingrained with us. And so when we are in that boardroom or the conference room, it's like we resort back to those smaller scared selves. And so if yeah. you got if you got reprimanded or punished for speaking up or voicing your opinion, which actually happens a lot in Asian and South Asian cultures, it's like you grow up thinking that, hey, I can't actually do that in a safe place, in a safe way. And so you struggle with saying to your manager, hey, I actually need to take a couple of days off because I'm moving to a new place, which happened a lot during COVID. Many people were relocating and many of the women that I work with, they would just be so scared to actually tell their manager they needed to take some downtime. To actually move. So these are wounds that have actually happened earlier in our lives. And it's really helpful to identify what age am I sort of stuck in this place? And then how do I take care of that younger part and move forward as an adult? Mm -hmm. I really love that you said that because I don't think we realize that a lot of times that's the inner younger version of ourselves that's getting activated from the fear standpoint. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. So whether you were reprimanded by your parents or your teacher, or, you know, you had a lot of questions and you were always raising your hand. And so now you, you got reprimanded so much that as an adult, you sort of resort back to that 14 or 15 year old where you were getting punished for that. And now you feel nervous to do that when you're in a meeting where you're, you don't want to be looked upon as the woman that asks so many questions, right? So mm -hmm. these are all in that moment. It's like, wait, am I that 35 or 40 year old woman that's raising a lot of questions, or am I the scared 14 year old that's carrying this previous trauma with me in the, in the conference room? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed too, sometimes when we try to, we got, we, we get enough confidence and we're like, I'm going to say this, but we don't have enough practice with saying it or communicating. So it can come out kind of brash or harsh or, you know, kind of direct. Um, too direct, mm -hmm. where it's like the 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 person's like, "Huh, like, what are you talking about?" <laughs> yes. So, what, what's kind of like? Is there any advice or coaching that you can give us to kind of communicate things the best way? Yeah, I mean, I always say practice, practice, practice makes progress. We're not aiming for perfection. So practice. And so if you want to practice before you get on the Zoom call with your manager or you practice with a friend or you hire an executive coach or a coach to help you, these are all ways to sort of practice because until you feel comfortable in your skin saying what you need to say, it's going to be very difficult to communicate that. To your manager you could even pull your partner aside the night before and say hey i want to just tell you what i'm thinking and 
let me know how it comes across, right? So just getting some external feedback is really helpful, especially if it's something that you're that you struggle with. Oh yeah, I think that's so important. And sometimes we feel silly doing that, like what? what? <laughs> but it's really, really helpful because if that's something that we're not used to doing, then we will struggle with the confidence of actually following through with doing it. Yeah, and it's so easy to stumble on our words when, when we are in front of someone or a group or if it's a performance review and there's multiple people assessing your performance. So even if you can't grab someone and, and practice, practice yourself before you get into that meeting or that room or the Zoom room. It's like, these are the things I'm going to be saying and say it out loud just so it doesn't feel so, you know, it doesn't feel so jumbled in your mind and you can clearly articulate when you're in the situation where you need to self-promote or self-advocate. Absolutely. And I think this is something that maybe if we practice it too in smaller doses and not wait until there's something big where like, oh, now I have to address this issue, but just almost like daily self-advocacy, I think would be helpful too. Oh, I, and that's so it hit, hit hits on a point that I talk about in my book and also oh, yeah. with many of the workshops is practice everywhere because how you are in one instance is how you are in all instances. And yes. so one of the things that I, I talk about even in the workshops that I facilitate is I really struggle with just saying what I want to do. For example, with my partner, he will say, hey, what do you want to do? And I'll say, well, whatever, let's just do whatever, you know? And in that moment, <laughs> yep. it just I, I'm, I come from a very we-based culture. It's all about harmony, group harmony. And so speaking up and saying something about what you want to do, what you want to eat, like these are all moments. These are micro moments of speaking up. And so the more you practice at home, it's going to be easier to practice in the workplace. I love that you bring and shed some light on the we-based culture and the I-based culture. And I think they both have, you know, good positives towards them. What are some ways we can kind of even from someone that's coming from an I-based culture, that, that has some negativity or some negative mm -hmm. cons with it as well. Um, what are some ways that we can kind of marry these two things together? Yes. I mean, I think for me in my work with AAPI women, I help them dance between the we and the I. And what I like to say is, you know, think of a speedometer on a car and on one side of the dial is we and on the other side is the I. And so we are constantly navigating based on the context. So for example, if you are a solopreneur like I am, I have to turn up the eye when I am talking about myself, my credentials, when I'm a business development call, I obviously have to share, you know, my portfolio of clients versus if I'm in a group and I'm hired to do a group training, it's all about brainstorming or I'm hired to coach a, a specific team. It's all about the group harmony and I'm using more words like our deliverables, our outcomes, right? And so I really say like, based on the context you're in, if you work in an organization, there is still an I and team. Like you wanna make sure that you speak about your accomplishments, especially women, so that you get, you get credit where credit is due, but then also navigate between that dial of the we and the I. So if you're in a brainstorm, a team, deliverable that needs to be done and multiple people's inputs are part of it, then yes, we're talking about shared deliverables, our goals, right? Like these are the terms that you want to start thinking about. And when I think of that speedometer in a car, it really helps me go back and forth between context. And so in this context, I have to talk more about myself, which feels a little bit viscerally icky. Uh, and then I can yeah. move to the we, which is for me, the we is a lot easier than the I. And so you just, not, you you first ask yourself, where do I feel more comfortable? Mm -hmm. And then start practicing moving that dial in, in different contexts. 
I really like that. And that's something that I had to learn as well, where it's like, let's just focus on uh, not separating things as much, where it's like, this is for you, I'd say, like, this is for us, you know, like just trying to um, marry that together really helps to actually get people on your team, (laughs) on your side. Yes, exactly. Versus if you're if you're a leader and you're trying to get a team to move forward in a particular direction, mm-hmm. that's when you really want to turn up that we, right? Like it's all about the collective group harmony, the goodness of the group. Uh, and if you're working on something individually, that's really where you want to turn up the I. But so yeah, knowing that there's that dial. So so bringing it to the surface and thinking about the context you're in and then saying to yourself, hey, I, I need to be more in the I space in this conversation. So I need to talk more about myself, what I did on the team, what deliverables I focused on, right? And really amp up the I. Oh, yes. I love that. I think that's just so important, especially in the corporate world, because sometimes um, from where I, the original uh, place that I was at, they were very like team we us kind of thing but it was almost like they would utilize that in ways to not accept responsibility (laughs) at times when it was from the individuals like no this is a we thing this is a you like let's (laughs) let's practice accepting responsibility here and then we can all get better um yeah uh, but then at times when it is an i situation let's say the person has been the only one like putting in that work and when the whole team gets credit and they didn't do the work, it, it almost makes you feel unappreciated. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's about having Absolutely. that balance. So in that moment, yeah, and so in that moment, if that's the situation where you were you pulled a most or all of the weight, you need to bring it to the surface so your managers or seniors in your organization know that you did that. Because if you don't, it will be overlooked. And you want that to be part of your performance review conversation, your, you know, discussions about raises and all of these things that happen, you have to talk about it. You do. I'm so glad you said that because we kind of have this uh, ingrained in us, like we talk too much about ourselves, I'm going to seem egotistical or narcissistic. (laughs) So uh, we're like almost afraid to talk highly of ourselves. Right. Because we, we seem like, oh, we're so yeah. boastful. But I, from my own experience and all of the people I've coached in all of these years and the 15 years that I've been a coach and facilitator, I would say the chances of that is actually being reality are slim mm-hmm. to none. If you're even asking that question, it means you're yes. okay. <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah. safe. It's like you're not, yeah, you're safe. You're not doing it enough. You really need to, you know, blow your own bullhorn yeah. and be your own cheerleader. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's something I had to learn as well because I was always taught like, you know, just be humble, you know, be sweet, be kind. Um, and, and that's fine, you know, because you learn how to be diplomatic. But sometimes I found that I put in so much work and nobody saw it. And I was thinking that they did. Right. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly. And then there's always those people that will take advantage. Right? Yes. So you've done the work and but you're, it's a group collective deliverable. And Yeah. So that's really in those moments, however you feel like you can bring it up, whether it's in a team meeting, in an email to your manager, like however you need to bring it up where you feel comfortable, you must do that in order to get credit when credit is due. Mm -hmm. What's a way for for us recovering, um, you know, quiet people? (laughs) What's a way that we can say it without 
feeling like we're sounding too self-focused? I love this question. I love this question. So one of the things that I recommend doing is practicing as if you're talking about your best friend or your sister or whoever, like someone that's very close to you. So you would say, you know, let's say we're really good friends. I would say, Lindsay just did this. She just accomplished this. So you're you're basically talking about someone or you're talking about yourself in third person. So you're essentially emotionally distancing yourself from the situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So would you say that? Like, would you talk about yourself in third person these moments? Yes. Yeah. So not in front of your boss, oh, right? But right. Like, be like, who are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what you would do is before you have the conversation, you would talk about your accomplishments in third person. Neelu just published this book. It's called Be Your Own Cheerleader. Neelu just, uh, you know, developed this relationship with this new client, right? Like in third person, when you're then in front of your manager, you can then say it back into first person, but just practicing where you don't, it's kind of like that emotional distance from being boastful to actually, you know, embodying it. I think when you separate with the third person, it can help. And also if that strategy doesn't work, you can also talk about it as if you're talking about it, your sister or your best friend, because we are cheerleaders for all of the women around us, but what's harder for us to do for ourselves. So the practice element before the conversation can be either you speaking about it in third person, or you speaking about it as if Lindsay's your sister, when in fact, Lindsay is you, right? Okay, got it. Okay, that's good. That's good. At least to like make the connection of how much work you've done and realize that. And I think you'll be able to balance it when you're speaking about yourself too. What are some other ways we can focus on recovering or preventing burnout or just getting better? Because I know sometimes in general, uh, they'll say, oh, take a couple days off or uh, do this or whatever. It's like that doesn't resolve my burnout because that doesn't take care of the root cause of the problem. So what are some other ways we can implement that? Yes. So there is a system, a holistic healing of system called Ayurveda, which is actually where yoga comes from. It's 5,000 years old. It's an Indian holistic healing system. And so one of the things that Ayurveda talks about is having morning and evening routines. And so there's so many that you can choose from. You know, you can listen to so many podcasts on some morning routines, evening routines. Some of the ones that I like to use are rooted in Ayurveda. And so one of them, it's very simple. It's that the first hour that you wake up, you are device free. So you are, if what happens most of the time is people use their phone as an alarm. So you're essentially, you wake up and you reach over for your phone and you look at it and you are responding to emails, responding to social media posts. And so you're training your brain to be reactive and distracted all day. So that first hour in the morning is sort of this time to ease into the day. And most of my clients will say, Neely, one hour is too much. So then I say, okay, one hour is too much. So try 30 minutes. So similarly, the same thing at night at, from an Ayurvedic perspective, the hour before you go to bed is sort of your pamper hour. And in that hour, you want to try to be device free, You want to not have any lights coming directly towards your eyes. If you're reading an actual book, the light's coming over the shoulders, right? So you're really helping the melatonin production. You're really helping yourself soothe into a restorative night's sleep. And I think we are so 
glued to our devices that doing that 30 minutes or hour in the morning and that 30 minutes or hour at night has become so challenging. So even that one slight change in your daily routine can impact your mental well-being for the next day. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think that's so important just to implement those practices. Um, even if you don't think you're going to go into burnout. <laughs> exactly. I think it's just important to do in general. It's like maintenance or hygiene, right? Just like we talk about sleep hygiene, the things to do to set up, set ourselves up for restorative sleep. That These are same things for hygiene, for our mental health that we should do every day. And there's so many you can choose from. So I say pick one or two things and start to do that every day. And these small, simple steps and having the discipline to implement those small, simple steps will really help your mental health and well-being. Awesome. I love that. Are there any other words of wisdom or advice that you want to share with us, especially for South Asian and Asian women as well? Yes, I would say the title of my book, Be Your Own Cheerleader, because if you are your own cheerleader, it will help you with your mental health. It will help you with self-advocacy. It will help you to have vitality and reduce your chances of burnout. Speak up, share when you are overwhelmed, reach out for help, right? Like these are things that we're just not accustomed to doing. And by simply speaking up and being your own advocate, you can really help your mental health and well-being. I love that. And how can other people find you? How can other people find you or get in touch with you? Yeah. So my website, neelucor.com. I'm on LinkedIn under my name. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram, neelu.core. And my book, Be Your Own Cheerleader, is on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and all of the places that you can get books. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nilu. Like this was jam packed with yes. information and just things I didn't even think about. Like the whole like we versus I culture. I wasn't even thinking about that part as well. So that was really, really helpful. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nilu. Thank you. Take care. Okay. You bye. too. Bye bye.